So our first reading for this, the second Sunday of Easter, comes from the book of Acts, the fifth chapter. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about four hundred, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census, and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day, in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. And this is the word of the Lord. Christ has risen from the dead. He has given him dominion over the works of his hands. He has put all things under his feet. The epistle reading comes from the first letter of St. Peter, the first chapter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. God. The Holy Gospel, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes to us according to St. John, the 20th chapter. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. 
Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's almost nighttime there in the upper room, and the disciples were just a wee bit edgy. It's been a rough weekend, to say the least. Just a week earlier, They had walked into Jerusalem like heroes, escorting Jesus through the palms and all the cries of Hosanna. Then, in a whirlwind of events, Judas betrays them. Jesus is arrested and publicly humiliated. The disciples find that all their bravado and self-confidence was not very well placed. And Jesus, the one in whom they had put all their trust and hope and faith, was brutally crucified and buried. And now today, they're hearing from the women and from others rumors that Jesus might be alive again. But that actually puts them in even more danger, as they assume that anyone associated with Jesus is going to be targeted that much more by his enemies. And so here they are, gathered together in a locked room in fear, Wondering what's going to happen next. Wondering if they are going to die that night. Wondering what in the world is happening. And then Jesus appears. Shockingly, he's just there in the room. He didn't just kind of slip in unnoticed. Because if you think people are coming to kill you, you are watching every possible entry point like a hawk. But despite that, Despite the fact that they saw him die just a few days ago, Jesus now stands among the disciples and he speaks these words. Peace be with you. And that seems like a little bit of a strange thing to say given the circumstances, doesn't it? I mean, was Jesus just speaking empty words to the disciples? Because he didn't make the enemies of the disciples disappear. 
That's obvious from our Acts reading and from the remainder of the Bible and everything that we know about history. The disciples were constantly opposed, often found themselves before the council, being beaten, or on the receiving end of a stoning or even a crucifixion. Jesus didn't magically make their doubts dissolve because Thomas, even though he wasn't there to see it, didn't believe. But we also hear that even those who saw him kind of wondered, could this really be? Are we maybe making this up? What's actually real? He didn't give them financial security. He didn't give them political power. He didn't give them millions of followers on Instagram. In fact, very, very little, if anything, had actually changed in their lives. Their circumstances were still the same. They were still in a locked room. They were still in danger. They still had a lot of trial in their life. And so if Jesus really wanted to give them peace, wouldn't he have fixed all that? Wouldn't he have made it go away? As he said, peace be with you, wouldn't the sun have broken out, a choir of angels sing out a great song, and they realize everything is good and they can do whatever they want freely? But you see, that's the thing. The peace of Jesus Christ, it isn't freedom from trouble. It's assurance through trouble. The disciples still lived in a broken and sinful world, and they themselves were still sinners. And so there were going to be problems. The trials that the disciples were absolutely certain to face, they could face now with peace, knowing that Jesus would be with them. Even though they had denied him, Even though they had fled like cowards, Jesus now stands with them, not just in this room, but forever, telling them, peace be with you. They had confidence. They had absolute assurance that the message that they were sharing with others was correct and that it did indeed lead to eternal life, just as Jesus said. They had peace proclaiming this message that sounds bizarre and strange and unbelievable, to the world that needed to hear it so much. And because they knew that Jesus had given them eternal life, they knew that no matter how bad, no matter how unpeaceful life might seem, eternal peace and joy awaited them in heaven because of their Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus appears to the disciples in the upper room, and he doesn't just give them platitudes, doesn't just give them empty promises or promises for the future. When Jesus says, peace be with you, that's what he means. Because of his resurrection, peace was indeed with them, in this life and in the life of the world to come. And that's great for the disciples, isn't it? But what about us? We don't have Jesus standing right in front of us in the flesh the way that they did. We don't see the holes in his hands and the spear mark in his side. We don't have him miraculously appearing when we are terrified and in the depths of terror and trial. And yet, by his word, Jesus says to us the same thing that he says to the disciples. Peace be with you. So does Jesus speak empty words of peace to us? Because let's face it. Our lives aren't exactly peaceful, are they? Especially as Christians. We still have sickness and sorrow and death. And that can disrupt peace in our lives. We have political strife 
and distrust and economic uncertainty. And that doesn't make for a whole lot of peace. We have rifts within our families. We have broken relationships. We have hatred. We have anger. And all of that, of course, is not peaceful at all. If Jesus really wanted to give us peace, wouldn't he have fixed all this? Wouldn't he have made our lives a lot more peaceful? Wouldn't he have gotten rid of all the strife and the pain and the trials that fill our every day? I mean, we know that heaven is ours. And we know that we will have eternal peace then. But for Jesus to say to us now, peace be with you, while we still struggle in this world of chaos and sin, it doesn't seem quite right, does it? It seems kind of like a mean dad taunting his kids by announcing, guess what? We're going to Disney World! But failing to tell them that it's not going to happen for like five years. As we look around at the broken, raggedy state of the world and our own personal lives, the words of Jesus sort of ring hollow when he says, Peace be with you. But just like the disciples, Jesus is speaking the truth to us. The peace of Jesus Christ in our lives as well. It is not freedom from trouble. It is assurance through trouble. In fact, the trials that we face in this world, they strengthen and they refine our Christian faith. Peter writes about that. He says that our faith is more valuable even than gold, even though gold is refined by fire. Refining, you melt it, you break it down, so that all the impurities, all the dross, all the things that make it weaker and less valuable can be burned away, taken out. The gold is purified, just as our faith is as well. When we go through these trials with Christian faith, it is strengthened. The trials show us that faith in worldly things is misplaced because those things will fail us. When we put our trust through trials and troubles, if we put our trust in money, in our friends, our family, in government, in science, in whatever it might be, it will fail us time and time again. But the word of the Lord never does. The trials show us how God brings us through these trials in ways that we never expected as he opens a door that we didn't even realize existed and sets us free from tribulation. And the trials that we face with Christian faith, they glorify God. Too many churches teach that being a good Christian means you'll never suffer. That if your faith is strong enough, if you come to church and especially give enough money, and if you say just the right words, then God has to bless you and he will put this magic bubble around you and nothing can ever happen to you. The Bible, though, says the exact opposite of that. The Bible says as a Christian especially, you will suffer. You will face trial and temptation. You will be broken down by this world. You are a sinner, and your actions oftentimes lead to problems in your lives. And you live in a sinful world which seeks to devour you. But we walk through those trials with faith to the glory of God. In a world that abhors any kind of suffering, any kind of discomfort, a world that wants an instant and complete fix right now, 
Well, we show what faith and trust actually are as we endure the trials of this world. Not just in the crisis moments and the catastrophes, but even through our everyday mundane frustration and suffering that sin piles into our lives. We stand firm, rooted not in this world, not in a self-help book, not in anything that we can come up with, but rooted in the Word of God. And no matter how bad or frustrating or annoying life gets, we can have peace. And that peace glorifies God as we proclaim He has given us something this world cannot give. And this is especially true if we are suffering for our faith. Because as we suffer, we profess to the world that Jesus is worth more than anything for us. Did you notice the reaction that the disciples had in our reading from Acts? The council is told, don't kill these guys. But they're like, yeah, but we're still going to beat them up because we don't like them. And what did the disciples do? As the council beat them and warned them, don't go talking about Jesus. They left rejoicing celebrating the fact that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus, and then they did not cease to do the exact thing that the council told them not to do. Proclaim Jesus Christ, teach about his resurrection and the forgiveness of sins given only through him. They glorified God even through their suffering. When we refuse to give in to the mob that seeks to silence us, we proclaim to the world that we seek God's approval, not theirs, and that they are temporary at best. When we choose to suffer financial loss rather than turn away from Jesus, we proclaim to the world that God is far more important than money or sports or school or friends or family or whatever it might be that is trying to take God's place. When we suffer in our lives, when we don't take the easy out of euthanasia that our world pushes so hard and says, well, we want them to have a quality of life and we don't want them to be a burden on anybody else, we as Christians stand firm and say life is in God's hands alone. And we glorify God even as we suffer because we proclaim that we are his, not our own. Our faith is strengthened. It is refined through these trials. And we have peace knowing that Jesus himself is with us. Knowing that even no matter how bad things might get, all things are in his hands. And by that God-given and God-refined Christian faith, we know that ultimate peace indeed awaits us. The peace of heaven. No more pain no more sorrow, no more temptation or trials or frustration, only rejoicing in God's perfection and presence for all eternity, standing with our brothers and sisters in Christ forever, singing out God's praises. And looking forward to that peace, that brings us true peace in this world. We know that this world, with all its trials and tribulations, it's but temporary. It's not going to last we know that eternal peace is ours through the cross and empty tomb of Jesus Christ. We know what he has given to purchase us from sin, death, and the devil, and we know that he would never leave us or forsake us. We know 
that there is nothing at all that this world can do that can change the love of our Lord Jesus Christ, and so we can face our trials and tribulations with Christian peace. No matter how bad things might seem, no matter how awful this world gets, the words that Jesus spoke to the disciples in that room, he speaks to each of you as well. Peace be with you. Not peace as in you'll never have trouble, never have discomfort, never suffer in this world. We do give thanks to God for every hour of that kind of peace that we are granted, but we know that that peace won't last. The peace that Jesus gives us, that's something far better. Amid all those struggles, all those trials, all those frustrations and pains and persecutions, when we know that Jesus is truly with us, strengthening us, holding us up, we can indeed have peace even in the midst of suffering. When our whole life is spiraling out of control, we have peace knowing that all things are in God's almighty hands. And no matter how bad things get, we have peace in knowing that the troubles of this world are but a blink of an eye compared to the eternal joy of heaven. And that, dear Christian is the greatest peace anyone could possibly have. So no matter how bad things get, no matter how frustrated you might be, no matter how terrible the world may seem, Jesus says to you, his beloved child, peace be with you. And he means it. Peace is yours because he is with you always. And eternal peace is yours as well. For by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, By his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. Thanks be to God. Amen.